Amen. Amen. Yes, Lord, where your spirit is, there is freedom. This church is named after that freedom. The freedom that we're free from the penalty of sin. We're not free to do what we want. We're free to do what you want us to do. So our delight is in you. And you said you give us the desires of our heart. And our heart is that all men must be saved or will be saved. That's your will. You're not slow about your promise. You have been patient towards us, not wishing that any would perish, but all that would come to repentance. Lord, today, open all of our hearts, whether we're here, whether we're online, whether we listen down the road. Lord God, let us hear what the Holy Spirit has to say. And from the worship, Lord, we learn that you are holy, holy, holy. Jesus even told us we're to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. And the angels sing around the throne, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Today, Lord, we acknowledge you as holy. And we pray that you would make us holy by the precious blood that we have received as the penalty of our sins from our Savior. That sin cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you, Lord. We couldn't do it ourselves because we're sinners. Even if we could obey the Ten Commandments and the 613 others that follow, we still have the original sin of Adam and Eve. And therefore, we need a Savior. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming to this earth, redeeming us, sanctifying us, making us righteous before the very throne of the living God all because we've received you as our Savior and our Lord. To you be the glory, Lord, and may many people come to know you today, whether wherever we're streaming around the world. May many come to know you and serve you with all your, their heart. In Jesus' holy name, amen. And well, we're going to move right into communion before I go on. So if we can have the elements passed out. I'd like you to turn to, if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. And I'll just read a passage from Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you eat and drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I said many times, every time we eat, every time we drink, which is at least three meals a day, we should have the Lord on our mind, remembering what he did for us. Because we're not always going to be here on this earth. We're going to be in one of two places. Depends on whether you've accepted or rejected the price that Jesus paid on the cross for our sins. Jesus is instituting the new covenant here. We have an old covenant, we have the new covenant, the old covenant of sin and death, the new covenant of life in Jesus' name. It's very easy to pick from. To me, any wise person would go for uh, heaven versus hell. Of course, you know, the, uh, the media and everybody else thinks they're going to have a Bud Light and they're going to have parties all down in hell. If you read the scriptures, you're going to find out that that's not so. You'll smell the fire and the brimstone. You'll see the flames. Your tongue will be calling for a drop of water. The devil is the one who put that out there. But on the other hand, you have eternal bliss with the, in the kingdom of heaven. And I believe all the universe is going to open up to all of us. And we're going to have our prospective jobs that the Lord has for us to do because of our worthiness or unworthiness down here. And, of course, we'll be able to see our Savior face to face. We'll see those scars on his forehead from the crown of thorns, and we'll see the nail prints in his hands. And Paul said, or, when, or John said, when he got to heaven, he saw Christ as a lamb a slaughtered lamb. Jesus is going to the slaughter here like a lamb being led to the slaughter because this very night he would be betrayed. And he just taught his disciples a very important lesson. Remember me always. And it's something that we do when we eat and drink. So as we take of this Bread, we remember that the Lord's body was broken for us. He's broken for your physical healing, your spiritual healing, and your emotional healing. And we do this in remembrance of Him. Let's partake together. And in the same night, he took the cup. He said, as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. So every time you take a drink, you're out on the job drinking your Gatorade, remember the Lord. Wherever you're at, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's 24-7, 365, all the days of your life. Because you were redeemed by this precious blood that you have received as the cleansing of your sins. The precious blood of the Lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Let's take together, drink together.
Lord, we thank you, Father. We thank you for loving us so much that you sent your Son. We thank you so much, Jesus, for being obedient to the Father to come and be spit on, mocked, punched in the face, crowned with thorns, thrown to the ground, slapped, nailed to a cross, crucified for us. Thank you for your great love. May we learn a lot from the agape, unconditional love that you have shown to us. Because you demonstrated your love that in while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We love you with all of our heart. Speak to us now through your Holy Spirit as we dig into your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. Well, for those who just tuned in, we have a new audience, and I'm just going to go through what I just did a little earlier. You're listening to Freedom Church in the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're in Lantana, Florida. If you're local, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana. High Paluxo is the north border of Boynton Beach, the south border of, of uh, Lantana. And we're only a quarter mile west of I-95 on the north side of the road. That puts us in Lantana, the north border of Boynton Beach. So if you're local, come on by next Sunday, 10 a.m. If you're online and can't get here because you're in some other country or some other state, you know, um, just tune in at 10 a.m. and we'll be here. For those of you that are local, um, well, I want you to remember that we have a men's Bible study here every Saturday, 9 a.m., it's a great study. There's only a couple of us from this church there. We have usually anywhere between 8 and 12 uh, people. Most of them are from other churches. Even a pastor from a local church in the area is here, and which speaks to the unity of the body of Christ. And uh, I, thank, I thank the Lord for that because we're unified. We all have our perspective gifts and our ministries that God has, has for each individual church. Just like everybody doesn't have the same gift that the Holy Spirit has given, we got different gifts. So, um, anyway, um, if you're online, you're on our website. It's freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org. And um, on that site, you can find out our beliefs. We're a full gospel, Bible-believing church. Um, you can find our address. You can find our list of ministries. You can listen to messages from years back. You can even donate online by going to the Give Life button. And um, we thank you for your support. And for those of you here, you know, I uh, thank you for your gifts, tithes, and offerings. We've never taken a collection, you know, ever passed out the hat because we believe that unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. So there's boxes in the back as the Lord leads you, tithe, gives your gifts or offerings, whatever the Lord would uh, tell you to do. So uh, thank you, everyone. Um, I'd like to jump into the Bible study right now, as a matter of fact. So turn to Matthew chapter uh, 15. And we're going to read the 32nd verse. I'm going to finish up the chapter. You remember during our study in Matthew, we were in the 15th chapter now, moving into the 16th chapter. We did a, a intensive Bible study through this book so far. We spent several, chap 
several weeks on Matthew 15, we've seen the Lord feed 4,000 people. We've seen him feed 5,000 people. We've seen him do at least 11 miracles that are proclaimed in chapters Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9. And these all, all these healings are giving identification to who Jesus is. And we're going to see some more of that as we move into chapter 16. But to finish up chapter uh, 15, we're going to start at the 32nd verse, and I'll read to the end of the chapter. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the multitude, because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I do not wish to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where would we get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a great multitude? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven, and a few small fish. And he directed the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them, and started giving them to the disciples, and the disciples in turn to the multitudes. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the ba broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were 4,000 besides the women and children. And sending away the multitude, he got into a boat and came to the region of Mag. Dan. So we see Jesus right here in this chapter uh, feeding, feeding the 4,000. We saw him feed 5,000. The two unique differences here, I think this speaks to God wants all people to eat from the bread of life, which is him. He says, I am the bread of life. Not, see, the 5,000 was predominantly Jews because he was in Galilee where the Jewish people were. Where he is now, the 4,000, it's predominantly Gentiles. So and I, it speaks to God wishes that none repairs, whether you're Jew or Gentile, but all would come to repentance through the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the disciples last time, they, they had no idea Jesus was going to feed the multitude. You know, um, and this time... So it kind of shows like, hey, they're thinking maybe he's going to do the same thing again. Feed the multitude because they're in a desolate place. They have very few fish or anything like that. But Jesus here in the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, he is identifying who he is. His identity is in this, in this passage of feeding the 4,000 is he is the creator and he is creating right before their very eyes fish and bread. Here's what Colossians says, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For all things were created in him, and the things in the heavens, the things on the earth, the visible, the invisible, whether thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, all things were created 
through him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist or hold together. Here it is. Jesus is demonstrating who he is. All things go through him. He is, and then God the Father is creating right in the Lord's hand, which I also spoke to you, and I tell you this all the time, and I think it needs to be very clear, especially for those that don't believe there is a God or don't believe in the Trinity. It's written right in chapter 1 of Genesis, the first three verses, in the beginning God, we sang it today, Elohim. It's not El here. El is the singular version of, of God. Okay, Elohim is the plural version, which opens up for a triune deity. Okay, so in the beginning, God the Father created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord was moving over the surface of the water. Verse 2, verse 1, we see God the Father, Elohim. Verse 2, we see the Holy Spirit hoovering over the water. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You see Father, Son, Holy Spirit right in the first three bio verses of the Bible. Jesus is creating. God the Father is creating right here through Him, just like Colossians says, through Jesus, things that are on earth, things that are invisible, things that are, are visible. He's creating right there. And if you look up the Greek tense of the words, it, it, uh, the Greek verb, it says, he kept on breaking, kept on breaking, kept on giving it to the disciples. Which speaks to God's the giver of all things, good things, and we are the distributors of the greatest thing that ever was, and that is the word of God. We are the distributors. He's feeding the, the people physically, but Jesus feeds us spiritually the Word of God. The interesting part also to, to this is in the Jewish uh, feeding of the 5,000, the, the word basket there is actually like a lunch pail, or you would take a bronze paper bag with you to, to an offering, or to, not to an offering, to a, to a concert or wherever you go. You would take a bronze paper bag. It's like a lunch box. But when you move into... You move into um, the feeding of the 4,000, which is predominantly Gentiles. We see that that basket mentioned is a different word in Greek. It's called spurus, which is a hamper-type basket. It's a larger basket. So that's why the scriptures say, you know, they, they filled up a large, seven large baskets. That word is used one other place that I know of in the Bible. and It's in Acts chapter 9, verse 25. Then the disciples took him by night, meaning Paul, because he was just stoned, okay? They took Paul by night and led him down in the wall, over the wall, by a basket. A big basket. This bas these seven baskets that were collected of the fragments of the bread and fish filled up seven large baskets so big that the apostle Paul could fit in it. It's like a hamper-type basket or a bushel basket. When I was a kid, you know, we used to go to the farm, and my mother and, and aunts and uncles would all get together, and we'd buy a bushel full of, of peaches or a bushel full of apples or pears, and then we'd distribute them to the family 
But we would buy all that. And that's the kind of basket it is. You know, it's interesting. People look at the Word and they pass up all these neat things that are, that are in the Word of God. Because the English language just is not a good language. It's easy, they tell me, to learn. Okay, I still have a problem with it. But it's easy to learn. But if you say love... In, in the church, you know, we say, I love my dog, I love, my, I love the TV program, program, Bonanza, I love my, my spouse. No, the Greek version, if you do the studying on it, you find out that the verb, actually, there's a Greek actually has four verbs for love. It's agape, phileo, erotic, eros, and, and spurge, or spurge, which is a love you'd have for your pet. You know, I love my dog. See, but the English language, everybody in America thinks, you know, I went to, you know, I love them. They, they think, well, was he talking about sleeping with the person? <laughs> you know, is he talking about, you know, uh, I love him like a friend? What kind, of, what kind of love is this? So they say, you know, they meet at a bar and they go out. They meet a, husband, a guy and a girl that are married to somebody else. They go out. And they want to make love to each other. That's not love. That's eros. And a whole bunch of other things. It's wrong. You know, America needs to wake up on these things. Even the, um, the baskets that are taken up have an interesting point to them. The 5,000 basket was called Kofanos, which is a hand basket, like a lunch pail. I remember Daryl. Remember Daryl? He moved to uh, Oklahoma years back, and he actually passed away with COVID. And I actually did his memorial from here. You know, we sent a, what, however you do it online, and I spoke to them. And But Daryl, he was a big guy, was an AC guy, and when we moved into this place and gutted the place and did all that we did, we tore out the wall, the AC handler was back there. And it's like in here now, and it goes from the floor up to the ceiling. And I said to Daryl, we've got to help you move that. And he said to me, listen, a big guy, 6'3", probably went about 320 pounds, you know. He says, my lunch pail was bigger than that. <laughs> I'm there like... He made me laugh. To this day, I always remember Daryl. I'll never forget him, Daryl Freeman, because, because of what he said. It was unbelievable. And he just grabbed that big thing like this and walked it over here and put it in this cupboard, this closet here. Unbelievable. But this is, you know, you've got to dig in and see these things. And the feeding of the 4,000, I mentioned is spirus. That's a large basket, like a bushel basket to the point. Even Paul, we know Paul wasn't a six-foot-three giant. He was... In, in secular history, he's said to be a very, you know, small man, not good-looking at all, and supposedly backed over, you know, uh, bent over. Um, but he had a powerful way. The 12 baskets were left over for the, five, uh, for the feeding to 5,000. Actually, it was, is one basket for each of the disciples, that they might know God's going to feed them all the day. All the time they're going to be witnessing to people and the trials to come, he's going to be with them. He, they have a basket full of spiritual food. The 12 disciples. Did you also know that since there's 12 left over, how many tribes are there in Israel? 12. 
You know what? I think Jesus did this so that he would be speaking to the Jews very carefully. There had five fish. Do you know that there's five scrolls of Jewish law? I think God was speaking to them subtly, but if you dig in, you find it. The first crowd of 5,000, they were with Jesus for one day, and he fed them. And as you well know, this is just the men they're talking about. You had men, you had the men are counted, the women were just a little above a dog back in those days, and then you had the children. So you're, not, you're talking probably 12,000 people here. Jesus fed them. It was one day for the Jews, but he spent three days, the Gentiles spent three days for him. I think that speaks to the Jews are trying to condemn him, that are following him around, but the Gentiles are hungry. They're crying for God. So they stuck with him for three days, and they had nothing to eat. And Jesus was so worried. This is the compassion of God. He was so worried that they were going to fall over and pass out on the way. So he made sure he had them lie down or sit down in green pastures. Speaks to who he is again. He ID'd himself as the shepherd of Israel, the good shepherd. It's beautiful things you learn from the word of God. The Father provided the bread. Jesus, you know, uh, to Jesus, the Father provided the bread, and His Son, Jesus, who is the bread of life, is given to all those who wish to have Him. The two feedings, as I said earlier, include everyone. God wants none to perish. I even prayed it this morning. He wants all to come to repentance. And there's a whole lot more on that passage, but we covered a lot of it in chapter 14, I believe it was, when we studied the 5,000. So we're going to go, hopefully, to the 17th verse of chapter 6, and, um, and we're going to see, we're going to read right here again, and we'll go to the 17th verse of chapter 6, and we'll do a little study on it. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees came up and testing him, asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he answered and said to them, When it is evening, and you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? which is Messiah's arrival, as you well know. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And the disciples came to the other side and had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out for the, and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they began to discuss among themselves, saying, It is because we took no bread. But Jesus, aware of, of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? 
Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves and the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Or the seven loaves and the four thousand and how many large baskets you took up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? And then they understood. And he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teachings of the scribe of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So we see two groups of people here in this passage. We see the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees are are uh, like a strict keeping of the law congregation of people. They represent legalism. And legalism loves to add to the Word of God. We see the, we see the Sadducees who reject, they reject supernatural aspects. They deny, they deny angels exist. They deny eternal life. They only believe in the first five books of the Bible, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They only, well, they only believe in the, that book. And l- because they're liberal... Okay, they they subtract and they suppress the whole gospel. Yet they're enemies with one another. They're part of the Sanhedrin, but they're clashing all the time. But notice that they come into unity to get rid of a, another enemy. Who was it that said it's a chi- it's a Chinese proverb or a proverb of some kind? It says, "Is not my enemy." The enemy of my enemy, my friend. Is not the enemy of my enemy, my friend. They both want to do away with Jesus, both groups of people. Meanwhile, all of these people have saw him ID himself just a few moments ago by feeding 4,000 people, which again was probably 10 to 12,000 people with women and children. They saw him break bread and distribute it out of a couple fish and a few loaves. He's distributing and feeds 4,000 people plus women and children. They don't understand yet. There's creation going on. And the only one that I know that can create is God. And then he rebuked them. He says, you know how to discern the signs of the times, but you don't know how to discern what's before you right now, which he's talking about. This is the time of the Messiah when he's going to arrive in Jerusalem. They missed it totally. And he gave gave them a parable. You know, my dad used to quote this in a parable. He would say something like this. He was a merchant marine during World War II, and he was in every ocean on the face of the earth, distributing oil from a tanker to the battleships and air airplanes or whatever they did. And my dad used to wake us up in the morning when we were kids and he'd say, rise and shine for the maritime. In other words, it's morning. But then he would go on and say, a sign of the time, red skies at night, a sailor's delight. Red skies by morning, the people take warning. That is exactly what Jesus just told them. You can discern the, the whether it's going to be rainy or foggy or or, or hot and dry, 
but you can't discern that Messiah is here. They missed it. And that's why when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, just I think it was the day before, he broke down and cried. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks under her wing, but you would not. And he was crying. It is not only physically, but emotionally in his heart. They missed it. This is the elite, the, the Sanhedrin scribes, these Pharisees and Sadducees made up. They were the elite, a 70 one group of people, including the high priest. And they were totally unspiritual. They didn't see it at all. And you can tell this is true because when Nicodemus went to Jesus in John chapter 3, when he went to Jesus in John chapter 3, um, Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, what? I'm born again? How can I be, go back into my mother's womb? My mother's, his mother was probably dead. How's he going to get born again? He said, that's which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit. Nicodemus, and Jesus identified him as the teacher in Israel. And he had no knowledge of spiritual things. That's not good. That's what's going on in a lot of churches today. They can't evaluate spiritual things. You know how you have a Bud Light or a Corona Light? Well, they got Christianity Light. You could do anything you want. You get saved, you accept Jesus as your Savior, and you can go on and be the son of hell you were before you accepted Jesus as your Savior. That is not true. You must remember that now let me turn, let's turn to Galatians. I'll, I'll point it out by Scripture. Galatians chapter 5. Come on, Galatians. <laughs> Galatians chapter 5. We'll go to like the 13th verse. Well, let's go to the first verse first. It, is, it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Yes, Christian, you got saved and you're called to freedom. But here's the advice, the word of God that Paul is telling you. Yes, you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not you turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Just because you got saved does not give you the opportunity to go out and, and be a, do the same things you did before you walked in. You will come to the altar just as you are, but you will leave differently. If you come to the altar just as you are, and you walk out the door, and you're not different... You just uttered a bunch of words. And that's why Jesus is going to tell them soon this. These people say they, they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And the worship of me is nothing but man-made rules. So that's you. 
if you aren't different than you were before you accepted Christ as your Savior. God wants you back. He wants you back. I told a story to one of my deacons this morning. A lot of people, when they're young, they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they even serve Him for a while. But then as the years go on, all the muck and the mire of the world cover up that decision they made as a child. And back, back when, they get, when they get older, train up a child the way they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. You just programmed that child about Jesus. Hopefully, you know, in those five, six years that James Dobson talks about, how you program. Even Hitler said, you give me a child for five years, and I'll control him the rest of his life. Listen. But when you get older, and you come to church again, and you remember that you made a commitment when you were 12 years old or five years old, and you remember and you thank God again and accept Jesus again into your heart. God's been waiting for you to come back. He's not, a, he's not fond of backsliders. He wants all of you. He don't want you lukewarm. He wants you red hot. He said, I'd rather you be luke, red, hot or cold other than lukewarm or I'll just vomit you out of my mouth. For some reason today, I think a lot of the church you know, has fallen asleep. And that's why I wrote the book. And by the way, that book has been in writing for 10 years. So, and I didn't write it because literature was my worst subject in high school. God gave me the words. You know what, you might find a punctuation or my Pittsburgh slang coming out. But, you know what, look at the heart of it. And that's what Jesus is saying here. These people honor me, they... they these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules. Listen, do you love Jesus or not? That's the way it boils down to. No liberalism, no legalism, and that's what Jesus is talking about. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Leaven will, will work through the whole dough. You put leaven, which is yeast, into bread, and now you have a big loaf of bread. You tell, put the leaven in, you have flat, like a tortilla-type bread. Leaven represents sin in the Bible. Beware of the leaven of the scribe, the, the, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And we have to beware of legalism and liberalism in the church. You're saved, once saved, always saved. If you were saved in the first place, let me add that. Once saved, always saved, if you were saved in the first place. And if you can go off and, and dilly-dally in the muck and the mire of the world, makes me wonder if you were really saved in the first place. Because you should be changed. I know I, I look at a lot of you. I know you. And I know you, were, you have been changed. I know some of you for 15 years or better. You know. And I know you've changed. Both of these scribes and Pharisees are in error. 
Both are in error. The Sadducees subtract from the Word of God. The Pharisees add to the Word of God. Let me read you the Word of God. Deuteronomy 4.2 Ye shall not add unto the Word which I command you, neither shall you diminish anything from it, that ye may be, be keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. He's not asking you. He's commanding you. Deuteronomy 12.32 All the things I command you, be careful to do it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Remember, the Sadducees subtracted from the Word of God. First of all, they got rid of all the other books. All the prophets, they're gone. They only believe in the first five books. But then again, in those first five books of the Bible, there are multitudes of prophecies that point to Jesus Christ. Even Deuteronomy 18 15 through 18, Moses said this, After I'm gone, God will raise up another prophet, greater than me. Listen to him. You go into Acts chapter 3, verse 22. It says, if you, they're quoting that verse, and it says, if you don't heed this prophet, speaking of Jesus being the, the prophet, the Messiah, you will, you know, you're, that's how it's exciting. I'm going to turn there. Acts 22. 322. I want to put it the way it says there. Acts 3, verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God shall raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet, Messiah, shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Well, God is love. God loves you so much, he doesn't want this to happen to you or to me. So for those of you that are backslidden, I'm going to go to chapter 1, chapter 3 before that, of Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. It's time to return. It's time to come back. You don't be like the scribe, the Pharisees and the Sadducees who add and subtract from the word of God when God already commanded for it not to be done. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says this, For I testify, this is the last chapter of the Bible, For I testify together to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, the Bible. If anyone adds these, to these things, God will add to him the plagues that have been written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of God, of this, of words of this prophecy, God will take away the part of, part out of the book of life and of the holy city and from the things which have been written in the book. Listen, Freedom Church is not a Christianity light. It's we have work to do. We got to win this world over. We got to live a life that bears fruit. That people look at it. I've had people in this church years ago come up from the back and say, Pastor Joe, I prayed that sinner's prayer 50 times. I was raised in a church, Christian church. And he says, and I heard you talk, 
picking on the fruit. He said, I come up to the altar. He says, I'm looking at my life, and I don't see any fruit. And I said, well, then, if you were raised in a Christian home, then you know exactly what to do, right? And he did, right there. I didn't even lead him. He just repented right there. You know what? I saw him one time after that, and I never saw him again. Sad. It's very sad. You don't add or subtract from God's Word. And testing him. You remember, the greatest tempter already tempted Jesus. He was tempted in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. After he, he fasted for three days, or 40 days and 40 nights. And these, these scribes and Pharisees are going to test, try to get him to fail the test. They asked for a sign from heaven because they have not been allowing Jesus and seeing the miracles which he had already done. Listen, they've been following him. Last chapter, they were 80 miles from Jerusalem. They're following Jesus, trying to test him. They're trying to get rid of him. He, he is the enemy of the Sadducees and Pharisees, and they want him done away with. Is not the enemy of my friend, my en- my, is not the enemy, my enemy's enemy, my friend? You know, you know they decided to team up and grab Jesus. They wanted him out of the way. Meanwhile, in chapters 8, 9, even up until... Chapter 14, the feeding of the the 5,000. And this chapter, the feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 15. Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, um, Matthew lumps them all together. And I think he did this on purpose. In the beginning of his ministry, uh, Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, Jesus just healed a leper. And, And Dr. Luke, if you go to his gospel, you find out that he... He addresses him as being full of leprosy. That means he just didn't have a spot of leprosy on his cheek. He was full of leprosy. His hands, probably his nose. He may not have lost a limb or even his nose. He could have been blind. And Jesus, what's he do? He goes up and touches him. Which they go, you touched the leper. And the leper says, I want to be healed. And Jesus said, I am willing. They saw that miracle. That is Jesus being identified as who they know in the Old Testament scriptures as Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Who else can heal leprosy? It wasn't done in the whole Bible except Naaman in the Old Testament who was told, who was a leper of the Assyrian army. He wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile. And Elisha told him to go dip himself in a river, Jordan River, seven times. But he, was, he never went back and did the sacrifice because he wasn't a Jew. This, uh, this, this healing was to show the scribes and Pharisees because Jesus said, go and offer the sacrifice required of being healed from a leper. The, the scribes and the Pharisees had to look through the scroll saying, where is it? We've never done this before. They should have known right there. He's the Messiah. Then we saw Jesus heal the centurion's servant. Same chapter. 
Jesus wasn't even at their home. Yet, Jesus is IDing himself as Jehovah Shammah, the God that is there, even though he's here. He's there. See, they missed all this because all they had to focus, get rid of Jesus. They couldn't focus on anything else. They couldn't focus, could this be the Messiah? The Gentiles are getting it. The Jews are not. They, and then he goes on and heals Peter's mother-in-law. He's identifying himself as Jehovah Ganan, our defense. And he also healed, calmed the storm. We know that he identified himself as Jehovah Shalom. He's the peace. He brings peace to a storm, wind and waves. We see him deliver people, heal and deliver the demon-possessed man. He's identifying himself as, the, as Jehovah Makadesh, which the God who sanctifies. They, they're blind. I hope you're not. Jesus forgives sin of the paralytic. They're off our rate. Who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus tells the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. He just identified himself as Jehovah Thidkanu, our righteousness. They missed it. They're blind as bats. Jesus heals a woman with an issue of blood. We see the arm of the Lord extended to that woman as she extends her arm to the hem of Jesus' garment. Zechariah 3.8 Jesus raises the ruler's daughter from the dead. He just identified himself as Jehovah uh, or El Shaddai. God Almighty. The Lord God Almighty, I might add. Man, are they blind or are they blind? I hope you're not blind. Jesus Christ is the Lord. He, he, he's identified by healing the blind man as El Roy, which is the God who sees or hears. He also identifies himself as he heals the mute and demon-possessed man, identifying himself, I believe, as Jehovah Nisi, our victory banner, that mute and demon-possessed man was now free, and victory was upon him, and now he could speak, and the demons are gone. We see Jesus feed the 5,000 and the 4,000, which we, he identifies himself there as Jehovah Bara, which is creator. And Bara, by the way, means creator from nothing. When David says, create in me a new heart, O God, he uses the word bara. He doesn't say, he doesn't say, heal my heart. He says, give me a new one from nothing. This heart's bad. They blew it big time. They blew it. But Jesus said, I'll give you one sign. He said, he said this. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot uh, discern the, the uh, signs of the times. They're able to discern natural things, but they're, neg they're, they're, they're soft on spiritual things. They just can't see it. But what does Jesus do? He confirms that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish or a whale. Or a sea monster, whichever version you, so you wish. 
He said this wicked generation, the ones that are trying to kill him, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, this wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, except no sign shall be given him except the sign of Jonah. And what is the sign of Jonah? You know it. Three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish. Most likely dead. Doesn't say he's dead. Most likely dead. Because, you know why I say that? Because Jesus was dead in the tomb. He was resurrected from the dead. In other words, when I'm dead, I'll be raised up. I'll be raised up three days later. When that happens, that's the ultimate sign. And I'll tell you what, there isn't anybody in this room that I know doesn't celebrate what we call Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Jesus rose the third day, there's not a doubt. The secular Jewish historian, non-believer Josephus says in his writings, Jesus was raised from the dead. He doesn't say Jesus was said to have been risen from the dead. He said Jesus is risen from the dead. So you can take it back that far. He's referring to the resurrection. You can find that in Matthew chapter 12. Um, he's referring to the resurrection here in Matthew 12 when he talks about it. He's not going to give him anything new. He's going to give him the sign of Jonah because they already rejected all the things that I just talked about. They denied, denied Jehovah Shalom. They denied Jehovah Rapha. They denied Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi. They, they already rejected him. So he's going to give them one more sign when I'm dead and raised from the dead. And we see Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus come out of that group at the end of when they say Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Okay, let's move on to, let's see, we'll go back to our passage. We'll move on to chapter, verse 13 through 17. This is important, people, to everyone who's out there, who's here, and any that listened on the road. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, but others still Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Can you agree with that? Everybody here that I know, I know, agrees with that. How about others over the Internet? Do you agree with that? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? Who do you say that Jesus is? You know what the people say? They say, the people are saying that he's John the Baptist, 
John the Baptist was well-loved. Some say he was Elijah, another prophet, well-loved. Others say Jeremiah, another well-loved prophet. Or one of the other prophets, that's what some people say. Some people say that Jesus was a great prophet. If you stop there, you're shallow. You're shallow. It goes way beyond that. Remember the passage I read to you in Acts chapter 3? If you don't believe in this prophet, you will lose your soul for eternity. That's a long time. Who does the Father say Jesus is? If you remember when John the Baptist baptized Jesus, the voice from heaven opened up and God spoke from heaven and he said, this is my beloved son in who I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. That's who the Father says he is. Jesus just didn't make this up. It came from heaven. And not just once, I might add you. Who does Jesus himself say he is? Here's what Jesus said. Hard words. Everybody thinks Jesus was very meek and mellow, and he loves you so much that he didn't speak powerful words, but he did. John chapter 8, 24, Therefore I say to you, that's Jesus, you will die in your sins unless you believe that I am, which is the name of God, I am, you will die in your sins. Remember Moses at the bush, Exodus 13? He said, who should I say sent me to Egypt, to Pharaoh? He said, tell them I am who I am sent you. Then Jesus goes on, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I tell you all the time, Jesus says, it says in our Bible, I am. But in Greek, it says, ego, imi. Ego means I. Imi means I am. So here's what Jesus said, and I, I Say this many times because it's got to enter into your hearts. He said, I, ego, I am. I, I am. Get it? He's telling them. Seven I am statements all say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I, I am the door to heaven. I, I am and the good shepherd. I, I am the resurrection and life. Not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Hare Krishna, not anybody else but Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now when God speaks, and Jesus is speaking to these, these scribes and Pharisees and to the disciples, he's telling them, he's telling you the truth. And he's the eternal life. You aren't going to heaven except through Christ. It's not St. Peter at the pearly gates. I don't care what religion made that up. There's a book of life, and your name's either written in it or not. I think your name's written in it the day you were born. It, it is removed if you die on your last breath and do not accept and re- receive Christ as your Savior. And I believe your name is erased at that point because God wants you all, all, he doesn't want to erase your name unless one thing, the impardonable sin, rejecting of the Lord Jesus Christ. When you draw your last breath, 
any time before that, if you did it with your whole heart, not your head, your heart, you shall be saved. That's who Jesus himself says he is. Who do the demons say Jesus is? Here's Mark 1.23. I implore you, the Spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Wow. Demons know it. Of course they know it. They saw him face to face. They were once holy angels. And they decided to follow that hypocrite. Lucifer. And now Lucifer is called Satan. He doesn't deserve the name Lucifer anymore. Who do the demons say? Let's say go to Mark, Mark, same chapter 1, verse 34. He also drove out many demons, but he would let them, he, he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. You know what? Jesus doesn't want to come, you to come to him because you're demon possessed. He wants you to come to him because of who he is. He's God. He's the God that clothed himself with flesh. Hebrews chapter 5, or 10 verse 5, and was crucified for your sins. So, for those over the air, all those here, who do you say Jesus is? Do you agree with Peter? You are the Messiah, the Son of God. I do, and I'll proclaim that to the day I'm dead with the Holy Spirit's help. I will need it because we live in a dark, deprived, depraved world. Then, what shall you do with Jesus who is called the Christ then? You know what you have to do. You have to receive him as your Savior and your Lord. But as he came to his own. Those who were his own, they didn't receive him, the Jews. But as many as did receive him, he gave you the right to become a child of God. Listen, I loved my dad, and I'm glad I was the son of my dad, but I want to be the son, a son and a daughter of God. Amen. So, I believe. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says this, and it's an important verse. I memorized it years ago, and I love it. It goes like this. God has not appointed you to wrath, but for obtaining salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way. I don't care if you've been a Sunday school teacher for 45 years. That is not going to get you to heaven. I don't care if you're a preacher in a pulpit and you've been preaching for 45 years. That's not going to get you to heaven. I don't care if you've never missed a Sunday. That's not going to get you to heaven. What gets you to heaven is receiving Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. If you confess with your mouth, mouth, and believe in your heart, The Lord Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. Many people miss heaven by 18 inches. 
here to here. In my case, 15. Listen, you've got to do it with your heart. And if you, I don't care if you raise your hand a hundred times in church, if you did it with your head, it don't count. God looks at your heart. Remember God told Samuel, don't look at the outward appearance. Look at the heart, because I look at the heart. And, of course, Samuel finally anointed uh, David. So for those of you out there that are wavering, the Scriptures say this, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, follow Him. And we know what Joshua said when he was, he was about ready to, to go home. He says, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's something I've been hanging on to for 45 years, and I'm going to claim it every day. Quit wavering between two opinions. If you make no opinion, it is a no opinion. And oh, if you have no opinion, it's a no opinion. You have to acknowledge it. You have to say, yes, Christmas is coming up. There's going to be a Christmas present under the tree. You won't let it stay there till next year, I can guarantee it. You'll be picking up, see what your spouse or your son or your daughter had given you. And it's time, church, to pick up that gift and unwrap it. And that gift is Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Gifts are free. I say this all the time. The blood bank tells you, come over here and give your blood and we'll give you, uh, we'll give you a, a, a movie ticket. That's not free. You had to do something. You had to give your blood. Listen. Free is free. People call me up on the phone one time and one guy says, you want a canoe? I said, great, send it to me. Oh, no, you got to do this. I said, then it's not free. Listen, salvation is free. Do it. God so loved you, he gave his son. We're, Christians aren't God, aren't uh, people haters. We're God, people lovers because we want you in the kingdom of heaven with God and with us. We love you, and so does God. Make that decision. Quit wavering. As for me and my house, said Joshua, we can serve the Lord. You can choose who you want to serve, but I'm going to serve the Lord. So let it be done. I pray that you have that same opinion. Just ask him into your heart, with your heart. You don't need me to lead you in a prayer because most of the time you aren't even thinking. You're just talking. Just get on your knees. Stay on your feet with your heart bowed to the Lord and say, Jesus I'm yours. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me from all my unrighteousness and make me the man or the woman, the child of God that you want me to be. And to you be the glory for it all. In Jesus' name, that's it. If any of you accepted Jesus Christ today, please email me, joe at freedomchurchpb.org. Joe at freedomchurchpb.org. And we'll be glad 
and we'll rejoice with the angels in heaven for one more has entered in the name of Jesus. God bless you. I love you all. Tune in next week, 10 a.m.